What's going on guys, it's your boy DJ Scandalous here and we're back with another episode of Scandalous Talk. Before we get into this video, I want to let you guys know that my YouTube channel was down June 20th, my main YouTube channel, and it was down for 5 days. They actually terminated my channel without cause, without reason. If you don't know the full story, I have a video on my Scandalous Talk channel right here detailing everything that went on with that. Basically in that video, I just talk about everything that went on and really just dive into my life story of how I came about on YouTube and the different things that impacted me throughout my life that inspired me to actually make music because I really thought that my YouTube channel wasn't coming back so I really made that video as a message to everybody that has a YouTube channel or is familiar with my YouTube channel. However guys I want to give a shout out to everybody in the Fandom Menace and everyone from Hip Hop Universe's YouTube channel that came to my aid and showed me mad love and mad support on YouTube as well as Twitter and really I don't know if it was my YouTube video that I made on Scandalous Talk that got my YouTube channel back or it was you guys that kept hounding them on Twitter and retweeting and, and constantly commenting them about my YouTube channel. And it's very unfortunate that it took all that to get their attention because I had no strikes, no copyright strikes, nothing. And I just want to say thank you guys because this whole YouTube thing means a lot to me. And you guys don't see how much work creators actually go in about creating these videos. You just see the output like I said in my video. You may see 10 minutes, 15 minutes, but it takes hours for us to create these videos, you know? So I had all these ideas before my YouTube channel got terminated. I actually wanted to break down several videos that I found on Instagram Live of Money B talking about many songs that he recorded with Tupac or actually produced for or was in the studio during the time that Tupac created the songs around 1990 to 1992 and 3. And he actually did this live stream on Instagram for Tupac's birthday around June 16th. So I wanted to do a breakdown and talk about the several songs that Money B actually talked about during his live stream. So in this one, we're going to talk about the song, I Get Around. Now this is a classic song that Tupac did for a Strictly album that came out in 1993. And what a lot of people don't know is Tupac actually has an unreleased verse for this song that was actually written and recorded for Money B. However, Money B did not even use the verse. He would go on to write his own verse. So this verse just got scrapped on a cutting room floor. And Tupac also wrote Shock G's verse, but it's unknown if Tupac recorded Shock G's verse himself as a reference track. So here's Money B talking about this track. So let's talk about I Get Around real quick. You know, interesting song. I could, I, you know, I always tell everybody I could write a book, a whole book on that song alone. But, you know, let me truncate it. You know, I always talk about how Tupac, his work ethic was un, unmatched as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, he always wanted to take out any any reasons why things couldn't happen for him. So when I get around, he actually wrote the whole song. You know what I mean? So let me explain. You know, he by the time we recorded that, he had already moved to Los Angeles, but we were supposed to jump on the track. And he was like, fuck it. Even if y'all busy, I'm going to write it. So all y'all got to do is, if, even if y'all just can show up, just say what I wrote. Like, you don't even have to think. That's how that's how much he wanted us to get on that thing. So when he got to the, you know, when we got to the studio, Shock actually said the rhyme that Tupac wrote. So Shock's verse, pretty much Shock, I mean, Tupac wrote it. Shock kind of switched a few words around to kind of personalize it for himself. But Tupac wrote that. He also wrote a verse for me 
And when I get to the studio, I'm like, I'm listening to it. Now, mind you, you know what I get around. You know, we about partying and I get around. It's about the women and hanging out. And this verse that he wrote for me is like, my fo-fo, make sure your kids don't grow and all this shit. And I'm like, and I'm from the O. And I was like, I am not saying <laughs> that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had already written my verse on the way to the studio. That verse actually resurfaced for people to hear. So if you've ever heard the um, Death Row Greatest Hits, I Get Around Remix, you know, they, they, they pull my verse and then it's a Tupac verse. But actually, the verse that he wrote for me is the verse that they pull up and take me out. So I actually have it. I'm going to play it. So if you want it, you can go YouTube or you can go to, uh, like I said, it's on Death Row Greatest Hits, I believe. Yeah, Turk, that wasn't me at all. So I had to respectfully decline that one. Plus, I wouldn't have got no publishing. <laughs> I didn't even know what publishing was back then, to be honest with you. I don't think. No, I did. I did. I did. But I wasn't thinking about that. I just knew that that first was not me. So we already got the Death Row Greatest Hits remix. I thought it was a very great remix, but it's a very different type of vibe. It gave me the vibe of... I would say words to my firstborn original. If you ever heard that song, has a nice saxophone in the background. I'm not talking about the album version because the album version was a remix. The original version with Nutso has the saxophone, samples a classic song. So this gives that type of vibe because it has that very laid back saxophone instrumental. Now I know it's already released on the Death Row Greatest Hits. However, I would love to see a new version come out with just Tupac doing his three verses over the original instrumental. And I also think they can do a lot with this verse and some ad-libs from the actual retail version to make a I Get Around Part 2 type track. And I would love to see either Money B and Shock G to have new verses or you can get Too Short and E40 or possibly J. Cole. I think that would work well too. And this could be a hit single that they do for like a new 1992 era album because there's so many tracks they can actually do different eras for their song. Because there's still so many tracks left. From 1988 to 1991 for a Tupac Lips Now Air album. And there's also a lot of tracks from 1992, which was the Strictly and Troublesome 21 era. So I would love to see this song possibly get remixed as a part two. And you can put on other songs such as Brothers in the Pen, Still Don't Give a Fuck, What Goes On, Troublesome 92, Don't Call Me Bitch, Holla If You Hear Me, the Live Squad version, which is a totally different track, the Hellraiser, which is another totally different track, and possibly to get a gospel original version, which has four verses. If you aren't familiar with me and my YouTube channel or my YouTube career, I actually started out on YouTube much earlier than what you may think. My main YouTube channel dates back to 2013. However, I started on YouTube around 2008, 2009, where I was just a regular person like you guys commenting and not really uploading anything. Until around 2009, I started being more active on a Tupac forum websites, and that's where I would go to gain knowledge and really talk about Tupac to other fans and that's when I learned the remix as well from other DJs that remixed Tupac stuff back then. So around that time period, I didn't really have a YouTube channel with content on it. However, around 2009, I started just uploading some of my songs just for fun. And that's when things really took off for my channel, my original channel that I had. And around that time when we were doing the Tupac Forum website related stuff, we started doing interviews. 
So we had many interviews with like Mopreem Shakur, Mouse Man that worked with Tupac early on in his career on so many unreleased songs such as What Goes On and Brothers in the Pen. I believe we also had interviews with Danny Boy and Big Psych. And I got the privilege way back then being like a 20 year old kid, not having the equipment that I have today, not having the knowledge about producing songs and actually recording audio or anything like that like I do now. So it's actually kind of crazy back then that they actually had enough faith in me to actually even record an interview. And it's so funny because back then, you know, like I said, I didn't have an HD camera. I didn't have a top of line Shure SM7B microphone like I do now. I didn't even have a Blue Yeti, which you may have heard in my old videos. All I really had to record with was the laptop and Skype. And it's actually kind of funny because Layla Steinberg, when I did an interview with her, she asked what I was recording on and I said Skype and she just laughed me out of town with that shit. <laughs> because I guess it was kind of like so unprofessional, but back then, you know, I didn't know any better and we were just doing it for a website, not really for YouTube or Facebook because that really wasn't popping back then that much. However, I just found all my interviews on my old PC. So I converted it to my new PC. I transferred it. And now I really can display all the content for you guys for larger scale people because back then, you know, my YouTube channel is very small and I don't think you even have many subscribers. So they end up putting it on the Tupac Nation YouTube channel, which I don't even think is even around anymore. So I have an interview with Layla Steinberg, which was Tupac's manager early on in his career. I have an interview with Spice One, which collaborated on many Tupac songs such as Jealous Got Me Strapped, Can't Turn Back as well as other songs and I also have an interview with Dave Aaron and he actually worked on many songs from Still I Rise to All Eyes on Me mixing down the records. However he actually passed away in 2019 so I'm very blessed to actually have an interview and his take on things even though it dated back from around 2009-2010. So for this first one we're going to step into the interview I was doing with Dave Aaron. Now bear with me you know I was very early in my career didn't know how to interview anybody and the quality is just piss poor on my part because it was Skype. So guys, be sure to check out my channel, Scanless Talk, on here, my secondary channel, throughout the next couple days on this channel because I'm going to be uploading parts maybe every other day here. Let's get it. But do you still think his music should still come out? Should stuff still come out? Yeah. Yeah, I think stuff should still come out because... You know, I mean, he's got a lot of stuff to say. It's important to keep the artist, you know, still in people's minds. And, you know, you, you never know what people really like and what they don't. And, 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 and he could be saying something that really might touch a few people. And that, that's enough for anything. But, you know, I, I'd like to see the quality remain the same and not really buckle down to some of the acceptance of the low quality of today. You know what I mean? I, I think like, that's one thing with most fans that... The last great album we had was probably like Still I Rise because a lot of them were kept in original form or they were just enhanced or tweaked, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I can't say everything he put out is sucked. It's not that, you know, and I know a lot of the people that are actually working on the albums, you know, and they're good people, you know, or very, real talented people and stuff. So, you know, I, I, I'm not here to diss anything or anybody, you know, but I am saying that, you know, it's important to keep the quality of his music up to par, you know, if you're going to keep putting it out. And, you know, try to find uh, certain, you know, maybe maybe the excerpts that you that you choose, the verses that you choose to put together and everything, you know, make sure that they're, you know, general enough to be relevant still today, you know, and, um, you know, really say something to the people of today, you know. 
But, you know, I don't think that's ever going to be a problem with Pac. You know, Pac is legendary. People are still attracted to his music and still appreciate everything he's done, you know. And, you know, for me, I know I'm grateful to have been able to work with a legend like that. It's just broadened me, you know, to be able to, to, to have that as part of what I've done in my career. So, being a part of that Pac thing is a real blessing. I know, that's all I know. How, how do you feel about how... Um... Uh, uh, more records are like editing his vocals, making him say stuff he didn't say, or removing stuff that he said. Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. You know, that's why I'm saying what what I was just talking about. You know, is that it's important to keep saying what he would be saying. You know, okay. they're still important to what he would have done. Pick the beats that he would have approved of, and to make the music the way that he would have. So he wouldn't have said, "Nah, man, this is some whack ass shit." You know, because I know him. And I know that he, he, he could do that, you know? And, uh, you know, without having him around to approve it, it's really tough. I don't know, you know? I've never been in the studio chopping his stuff up and this and that. To tell you the truth, um, I think I, when I was doing everything with Pac, we were still on analog tape, you know, 24-inch tape. And I don't even know if I've done a Tupac song on Pro Tools. So I can't tell you what to do these days, you know? I can always say what we used to do on the classic stuff. Okay, okay th- th- you there, know? there's one song name I have here. Maybe you might recall it. It's it's a rumor song with MC Hammer called "Can't Touch This Part 2. Part two? Yeah. No. That never happened. <laughs> I don't know. I never heard that one. You know, I wish I could bring the truth to some of these rumors and things that you you have. You know, but I'm not here to dispel them either. You know, I'm not saying they're not true. I'm just not saying I don't know about it. You know what I mean? You know, the first stuff that I've worked on was was stuff for All Eyes on Me. I told you the first time I ever worked with Pac was when he did uh, Ambition as a Rider, and I ain't mad at you. And we just kept on going from there. So I don't really. You know, the second time when I worked with Pac was when I was in there with Johnny J. And, uh, and him and we just kept on, we did about 10 songs with me, Johnny J and Pac right after that. So all the stuff right then was on the All Eyes on Me album. What I did after that, I did Hit Em Up and I did, uh, I did a couple things for the, uh, for Machiavelli and then, you know, then the Still I Rise. And I don't, you know, there was a couple things that are unreleased and I don't know what he's using them for. It, but, it, is it true that the Machiavelli album was supposed to be like a mixtape or like an underground album? I, I don't know what it was supposed to be. Oh. I know he went immediately into that before Our Lines on Me even came out. Okay. You know, immediately. He was in the studio the next day, you know, after he had turned in All Eyes on Me to be done. You know, he was already working on Machiavelli before All Eyes on Me came out. Alright. So... I don't know. I don't know if he planned on it in anything. Like a mixtape, whatever. He was going to put the shit out. That I know. It was going to come out. Whether it's a mixtape or a real album or whatever it was, he was going to have it come out. He wasn't just making music for nothing. Hey, we holding it down for one of the greatest that ever did it. Tupac Shakur. And you rock with TupacNation.net. Holla. So a little recap on the first part. It was a 2010 interview that I did with Dave Aaron on Skype for the website Tupac Nation. Very early on in my career, when I didn't really know how to interview anybody and I didn't have the proper equipment to actually record anything back then, I didn't really understand the proper use of a microphone or video camera or anything like that. 
but I got the privilege of doing the interview with Dave Aaron, which tragically passed away last year in 2019. And his main job was mixing and mastering Tupac's records. So in part one, we broke down several songs after Tupac's passing, where they totally remixed his songs and edited his vocals to make Tupac say stuff that he didn't say, and also censoring his records by removing vocals and verses. So in this part, it's going to be more about the All Eyes on Me sections. We're going to break down How Do You Want It, Ambitions as a Rider, the original creation of those songs, as well as some key facts on the original versions of those tracks. And we're also going to break down the very rare and most talked about Tupac song that there probably is. It's with Tupac and MC Hammer, called Too Tight. Now, as you may know, Tupac was a ghostwriter for MC Hammer during his Death Row days. He wrote many tracks for MC Hammer, including Unconditional Love, which you may have heard Tupac's version release on The Greatest Hits. Now, Tupac most likely recorded that song for his own album. However, he gave the track to MC Hammer for his album, so you can actually find the MC Hammer version online. So for this track, it's an unreleased song, and apparently it's a three-verse solo song by Tupac, but he actually wrote the lyrics for MC Hammer because he actually shouts himself out as MC Hammer during a track. There's a video clip of it leaked online with Dave Aaron, Johnny J, Tupac in the studio and Tupac's actually rapping out MC Hammer's parts. The Tupac version has yet to leak yet, but you are able to find MC Hammer version of him doing Tupac's verses online. So back in 2010, we didn't really have Tupac's lyrics, handwritten lyrics or anything like that for this track. We didn't even have the MC Hammer version leaked yet. Alright guys, so here's part two. Let's get it. So I guess to start it off, can you tell us about yourself? Like, what made you get in the music industry? Well, you know, I've always been interested in music. My, my, my parents were in music, and, you know, I was guided kind of into it. And, you know, I considered some other careers, being a lawyer and a veterinarian, a couple things, but I ended up really just wanting to, you know, make music. And I started playing a lot of instruments, but I noticed that I was really interested in putting together the big picture. You know, I really liked being in the studio. I liked formulating other musicians and artists and creating, uh, you know, a song out of it, making a, a big picture. You know, it was, it was more fun to me. <laughs> what exactly did you do to the songs, like, when you were at Death Row? Well, a lot of times when I go on the Death Row uh, sessions, and I was doing Tupac sessions. I uh, I was hired to mix the songs, record the songs, you know, and uh, you know do do uh, engineering in the in the studio. So I would work with the producers and the artists, and uh, you know they would bring in guest people, the singers, and this and that. Uh, or when Tupac would come in, I would record him directly, you know, onto uh, the tracks. And, uh, you know, I'd record all the tracks from the producers, Johnny J and, uh, Bobcat and QD3 and, you know, the, the dads, the different producers that were working on the project. And, uh, you know, I would take everything we recorded and mix it down into something, something that sounded like a, a real song. You know, we'd do some arrangement on it and, uh, we, we'd get a real proper mix out of it so that it would, it would bang and, and, and hold tough through all these years. So you worked uh, after Tupac's death on several albums. How come you stopped? Or haven't they uh, called you to get you more involved with his music? Well, after he died, you know, I'd already been working on a lot of the Tupac stuff. And, uh, you know, I'd been working, still working with Death Row a lot on their, on their, on their songs or albums. And, you know, they, kept, they were calling me to do the mixes because I knew exactly how to get it to sound 
you know, just like the, uh, the older stuff that we had done. So, you know, we, we, we continued to work on stuff for a while, but as Death Row, uh, started, you know, they, they started veering into different artists, different ventures and different things. And, uh, you know, I started working more with, uh, with Snoop and other artists. I think the last things we probably, we did Still I Rise. I think after that, I just started working with the people. I didn't really work with Death Row as much anymore. Is it true that Still I Rise was supposed to be a Johnny J album with Tupac? I, I remember that was the initial plan, like a rumor to saying that it was all supposed to be all Johnny J tracks. Johnny J produced a lot of that album, from what I remember. We did a lot of work on that with the Outlaws, and we already had some tracks from Tupac already recorded. That album uh, was special to me because, you know, like I said, it was one of the last things from Tupac that I think I worked on. Can, can you tell us about the All Eyes on Me sessions? Like, uh, which artist didn't make it to the official release that you remember, or any scrap songs that you recall? Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, there was a few uh, a few things like that. You know, we did a song for... Um, I remember we did a song for MC Hammer that I had a video that I posted on YouTube. Too and, tight, uh, right? The Too Tight song? Yeah. Too Tight, yeah. I'm not sure exactly if he used that or what happened with that, but, you know, I remember we, we did that song and that was tight. I remember when we did uh, How Do You Want It, uh, Danny Boy actually did the original hook on that. And... That was one of the last things that we did on that album was we, uh, Casey and Jojo wanted to be on the album. He wanted to put them on too. So he, they took, we took, uh, Danny Boy off of the album and we put, um, Casey and Jojo singing the hook. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we have original version of that. It just has Tupac on the hook. It had Tupac on the hook only? Yeah. Yeah, then he, he, he got Danny Boy to sing it. And that's how it was about to come out until one of the last, uh, you know, few days before. The finishing of the album. I mean, we went in one night and and put KC and JoJo down. I flew the hook in and then we mixed it that same night. But the All Eyes on Me sessions were, you know, they were special to me. I remember when uh, I remember when Tupac. So we started working. We worked together a little bit, but I was working with Snoop a lot at the same time. And uh, um, I remember he was working with a few engineers, but it really wasn't working out with those guys. They weren't getting the right mixes. They couldn't record his vocals fast enough and clean enough and right enough. So, so I remember they came to me and, uh, and had me come in there and work with Pac one night after I finished another session. And right away we hit it off and it was on all the way since then, you know. I remember, uh, you know, the very first night that we worked together was the night that he got out of jail. You know, the same night he got out of jail, Shug brought him straight to the studio. He came in, you know, I was impressed with his, uh, his, his focus on, you know, really trying to get this album done. I mean, you know, he didn't go out or anything. He came straight to the studio. And I remember, uh, we did All Eyes on Me that, I mean, we did, uh, I Ain't Mad at You and Ambitions as a Rider that night. And, uh, Daz already had the beats laid out and he already had some verses that he had written and uh, we tracked it that same night right after I saw Shug giving his death row chain <laughs> but those sessions are all good you know we have fun doing every one of when, every one of those songs I, I enjoyed working with the different people on the album I enjoyed working with uh, the different producers 
the different artists, you know, Method Man was on there. I was working with all the producers, like I said, Bobcat was great. Devontae Swing was on there, you know. We did stuff with Quick was awesome on there. The stuff we did with Daz and Superfly, and you know, there was there were so many uh, different people that we worked on on that album. It was just a great experience from what I remember. Yeah, it's a flawless you know, we, we always knew that the album was going to be big, but I didn't know exactly how it was going to be until we started seeing uh, what happened after that. So you mentioned Song Too Tight. Was that meant for an MC Hammer album? Yeah, I think they did that too tight for the MC Hammer album. I remember when they signed him and we started working together for a while, too. That was fun working with MC Hammer as well, you know, because I always... You know, everybody grew up listening to him, and to be in the studio with him was a treat, you know, to see how he did some people work. And that's what I liked about Tupac, too, is that he always brought in, like, older, you know, more recognized, like, uh, like established some of the classic artists, you know, and uh, we get to do stuff with them. And a lot of the Death Row days were filled with that, and, uh, you know, that was a big part of it, the whole the whole era, you know? Yeah. Uh, a question that the fans have is, did Tupac write uh, MC Hammer's verse on that song? Because in the video of you in the studio with him, it has Tupac saying, I wonder why they call me Hammer. I don't know the answer to that question. Really, I was just in the studio with them when we were doing new songs every day. Uh, you know, we would do at least one or two every day. We would just keep on knocking them out, knocking them out. And, you know, they were just coming so fast. We were, we were doing song after song. And I, I didn't really know what they were really planning on doing with the songs or anything at that point. You know, we, we were just making them. And then later they would just end up doing stuff with them. You know, maybe that they had pre-planned, maybe that they just figured out after the song was done what they were going to do with it. You know, but that's how I was seeing it because there was just so much stuff coming in. And we were doing so many tracks per day. So, uh, you know, it was hard to keep up with exactly what they were doing with stuff. I mean, we would do a song sometimes and going, you know, coming to work the next day, I'd be hearing it on the radio, you know? And we just did it the night before. So, you know, we would do that a lot of times. A lot of times we would do it that same night and they'd bring it down to the station the same night and I'd hear it later on the way home. So, you know, it was it was a good area of music for what, what they were trying to do but I wasn't sure what they were planning on doing with all the songs we were just doing them in such a high volume like I said he was doing songs I don't know if he had in mind that he was going to give it to to Hammer or if he just was going to do it to, for himself and then he ended up just giving it to Hammer you know Hammer writes his own lyrics too you know but he might have wanted some lyrics from Pop you know I really don't know because you know, I didn't have time to ask Pac what he planned on doing with all this stuff and this and that. He didn't really get chatty like that, you know? We were focused yeah. on doing the music, you know what I mean? So I really don't know a lot of times what was, you know, what he was planning on doing with a lot of these songs, you know? Okay. He'd just come in and we'd just do them. I'd give him a dad of it or, you know, and a yeah. CD of it and he'd be out. Yeah. 